This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Cool. So let's read, turn to our scripture reading. Um, our scripture reading today is Isaiah chapter 25. So if you would stand with us uh, to read the scripture. Isaiah 25. O oh Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall, like heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is put down. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people will take away, he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord we have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain and Moab shall be trampled down in his place, as straw is trampled down in a dunghill, and he will spread out his hands in the midst of it, as a swimmer spreads out his hands, spreads his hands out to swim. But the Lord will lay low his pompous pride, together with the skill of his hands, and the high fortifications of his walls he will bring down, lay low and cast to the ground, to the dust. This is the word of the Lord. morning, Emmaus. As Cole said, it's really great to see a lot of faces, uh, more than half of them for the first time. As we uh, continue this morning just in worship, and before we jump into the word, I just want to take a moment for us to pray, um, just to consider um, God's word as truth for our lives and for his spirit to be working in our hearts before we jump into the text. So if you would just pray with me. God, I just want to I want to thank you for this day. God, what, what a privilege it is for us to have this space at Sterling. What a privilege it is for us to have um, people in our lives that we can call our community, we can call our church, that we get to gather with and um, share in fellowship with and share in your goodness with on Sunday morning. So God, I just thank you for that. And I, and I thank you for this word, this word that we're about to, to examine. God, that you have given us a promise that you're, word is true and it is faithful and it is a lamp into our feet. And so I pray that just this morning as we, as we go through this text, God, that you would be working in our hearts through your spirit to show us the truth and the ways that we need to see it, the ways that you have for us to shape us. So Jesus, thank you for this moment. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this morning, uh, we're actually going to be covering two chapters. Um, Part of the reason I wanted to give Cole a little bit of a break, <laughs> not having to read two chapters, 
Um, so we are, we are covering chapter 24 as well this morning. So if you have your Bible or your phone, whatever you use uh, for scripture, if you want to turn with me to chapter 24, because so we're going to start this morning. And before we actually jump into the text, I just want to start with this. Um, we're, we're looking at a truth today that has two kind of different implications that Isaiah is going to show us in these chapters. And the truth is this, that God's word is final always. And we, we kind of talked about this. Aaron kind of introduced this reality kind of all the way back in the first sermon of this series. It's the idea that, that when God says something, when God tells us something in its word, it is the same as reality. And I think sometimes it's hard for us to grasp because our word isn't necessarily reality. All the time, you know, I could come up here and say, like, by 2030, I'm going to be a millionaire. <laughs> Chances are that's not going to happen. <laughs> it's like, maybe I could get a second job or, like, as Sarah would say, fall into a large sum of money. <laughs> but the likelihood of that is pretty slim. And me just saying that does not mean that it's reality. And I think that's the distinction we want to make here is that when God, when we look to his word, we are looking to truth. We are looking to what he says as a sure word that has the final say. And I think it's important when we are looking, even throughout this whole series, and we're talking about God's judgments. We're talking about his considered decisions that he has for the world. We need to know that those, those things are sure. They're unmovable. They're not going anywhere. And so we should take heed. So that's kind of the big picture that I want to look at today that is continuing in this word from Isaiah today. Um, and there's two implications that are going to kind of come from that reality as we look into these chapters, and it's this. One thing that is true is that God always has wrath for sin. From the very first time we sinned, God had wrath for that sin because he is holy. And sin is, we define sin as anything that separates us from God, anything that is opposed to God's goodness, to his holiness, that's sin. And we can be sure that his word tells us that he has wrath for that sin, that he wants to undo that sin in this world because he is holy. But another thing that we're going to see in Isaiah that I'm much more excited to get to <laughs> is that God always had a plan to redeem. It is, amen, it is just as true as God's wrath is, is true that God has had a plan to redeem us from our sin, to redeem us from his wrath, to save us from our sin. And so Isaiah is going to be talking about both of these things. And I want us to as we consider the fact that God's word is final, we consider the fact that those two truths of God's wrath and his plan to redeem us are equally true. And so as we go through this, I just want us to keep those things in mind this morning. So first I wanna talk about God's wrath, which is where we start. So chapter 24, if you're not already there, turn with me to verse one. Isaiah says, behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate. And he will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. And it shall be as with the people, so with the priest. As with the slave, so with his master. As with the maid, so with her mistress. As with the buyer, so with the seller. As with the lender, so with the borrower. As with the creditor, so with the debtor. The earth shall be utterly empty and utterly plundered. For the Lord has spoken this word. And so from for some context here, basically what's happening in this chapter is Isaiah is summarizing everything that we've been going through from the beginning of the series in chapter 13 up until now. 
what it is, what's happening is this is a summation of all the different oracles, all the different words of warning to these different nations and even to his own nation is summarized in this truth of God's wrath that is not escapable, that there isn't anyone who isn't under this, whether you are slave or master, maid, mistress, people or priest, so on and so on. It's an exhaustive list because what Isaiah is trying to say is it doesn't matter who you are. Sin is sin. God is holy no matter who you are. And if you are opposed to his holiness through your sin, there is wrath for you. There is judgment for that sin. And that's what's happening. That's the message that Isaiah is bringing to the people right now, that God is holy and his wrath is on its way for your sin. That is a word that he's spoken. If God spoke it, it's reality. And he doesn't really stop there. So there's all of that, right? That the sin, there is no one that escapes this truth of God's wrath. But he goes into even more detail in verse five. He says, the earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. So Isaiah gives us this picture. This is the why for God's wrath, that, he, that we have been opposed to his law, to his covenants, to the, and it, specifically, he's talking to God's people. He's saying this isn't wrath that is just covers everyone except for Israel. <laughs> saying this is just as true for Israel, maybe even more so because God went out of his way to set you apart as a people, to make an everlasting covenant with you. And here you are breaking that covenant by not looking any different from the people that God is trying to set you apart from. And so I think it just reinforces this idea that that God's wrath is overarching, (laughs) that there's no one not under it. Even even those who set aside, even us who are set aside, we're not exempt from the wages of sin, from God's wrath. And I want us to take note of how serious this is. And and Isaiah is going to give us a glimpse uh, of what it is, of what is happening what is going to happen to the people when they aren't set apart? And why this is serious to consider that. In verse 7, he says, The wine mourns, the vine languishes, all the merry-hearted sigh. The mirth of the tambourines is stilled, the noise of the jubilant has ceased, the mirth of the lyre is stilled. No more do they drink wine as singing. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. The wasted city is broken down, every house is shut up so that none can enter There's an outcry in the streets for the lack of wine. All joy has grown dark. The gladness of the earth is banished. So what's happening here? What is is Isaiah actually saying? I think it kind of goes back to the last couple of weeks and kind of what Aaron has been talking about in the last couple of sermons. This idea, going back to Jesus' words in Matthew, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think it's this idea that that what's happening here is Isaiah is saying that the things of this world, the things that are fading away, the things that God has wrath for and is right (laughs) to destroy, those things are fading. And if you have put your hope, you put your joy, put your gladness in those things instead of God who he set you apart for, your joy is going to diminish with the diminishable things. Your gladness is gonna perish with the perishable. 
And I think that's something we need to consider. And especially for, if you, if you say that you are in Christ, that you believe that Jesus is your Lord, how much more true is it for us to take heed this word? We've been saying this over and over again in this series, that these words in Isaiah are just as relevant for us today. This isn't just God's word to his people in Israel all those years ago. This is just as true for us now. It's just as true that we need to consider the fact that when God's judgment comes, if our security, if our hope, if our desires and our longings are placed in things that fade, that aren't lasting, our hope and our joy and our peace is going to go with them. It's going to fade with them. And I think we need to take that seriously. And I think we need to ask ourselves this question, where is my joy? Where is my gladness? Is it in the wine (laughs) that's running out? Is it in the things of this world? Or is it in God who set us apart for something better? Something we need to consider because, like we're saying, this truth, that God's word is final, that God has always had wrath for sin. We can be confident that this is gonna come to pass. (laughs) The things that he says are fading, fade. That that's reality. And I think even to, to add another layer to this that I've kind of been wrestling through um, because I think in some sense it's kind of easy if you have been in church for a long time, if you've been a Christian for a long time, to kind of get comfortable with the idea that you are exempt, that you're exempt from the consequences of sin. And it's true that, that we do believe that Jesus has paid for our sin. <laughs> that is something we can also be confident in. But that doesn't mean that there aren't any consequences to our sin. There aren't, doesn't mean that there aren't any consequences to putting our hope in fading things and that hope fading. There are consequences to that. And Paul talks about this in Romans. In Romans chapter 2, in verse 3, he says, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, And do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. There will be wrath and fury. May God's judgments, all of his decisions, his word that is final, these things are meant to lead us to repentance. We shouldn't be taking, we shouldn't be taking leeway of the the fact that, that God's wrath is meant to lead us to repentance. It's actually, I think it's, it's tempting for us to just see God sometimes in scripture as cruel, to see his wrath as a, as a cruelty. But the truth is his wrath is kindness. God has the right to destroy us and that be the final word, but he chose more than that. He chose a, a, a path and a way to redeem us. And he does that through people like Isaiah. Sending Isaiah at all, is a kindness from God. You here this morning, getting to be in this space, getting to be 
with people that you love and care for and, and share a hope in Jesus with is a kindness of God that we don't deserve, but he gives to us anyway. And I think for us to squander that, for us to point our fingers at the world around us and to say, those are the people who God's wrath is coming for, not us, because I'm covered. I don't need to worry about my sin. No, we, we should be thankful that our sin has been covered for, but that doesn't mean that we diminish it <laughs> and aren't realizing of it. God has wrath for sin. That's his word. That's his final word. We need to take that seriously because we're not exempt from the consequences of the brokenness of this world. And Isaiah tells us, he, he actually shows us in this chapter that there is a difference. Not, um, as he, he also says in Romans, like not all Israel is Israel. And there's this idea that like there is a chosen people, that God does have a plan to save people, but there's a difference in posture. God is looking for a posture from those people. And he, and he shows us in verse 14. He says, they lift up their voices they sing for joy. Over the majesty of the Lord, they shout from the west. Therefore, in the east, give glory to the Lord. In the coastlands of the sea, give glory to the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. From the ends of the earth, we hear songs of praise, of glory to the righteous one. As they're saying, the, the people that have the posture to see their need for God and to continue to worship him and turn to him instead of the fading things of the world, those are the people that have joy. Those are the people that are actually able to genuinely worship their creator. But to those who aren't, he says, but I say, I waste away. I waste away. Woe is me. For the traitors have betrayed. The betrayal the traitors have betrayed. Isaiah is saying, if, if your joy if your sense of being, if your identity is in things that fade, you're going to realize that they are only going to betray you. If you have joy in something that fades, your joy is going to fade, and you're going to realize it was a false joy. It's a false hope to hope in the things of the world. It's a false security to think that, that Egypt or Babylon or whoever <laughs> is exempt or is going to save you from the wrath of God. You will be betrayed by your own work and hoping in the wrong things. God's saying that those who, who sing for joy give praise to God. See him as glorious and righteous. That's a sure word. So we kind of established God has wrath for sin. That's final. And Yes, this is serious. This is heavy stuff to take in because I think this isn't usually on our minds every day. <laughs> that there's like wrath being stored up for us if we're not repentant. But that's a reality. I mean, we do need to face that. If all of God's word is true for us, if, that's his, if everything in this is his final word for us, revealed to us, we have to take all of it seriously. With that being said, remember, God has also always had a plan to redeem. He doesn't just have wrath. He has mercy. Amen. So, 
That being said, I'm very glad that there is another chapter to get to. <laughs> chapter 25, you turn with me to verse 1. Isaiah says this, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. In the midst of this oracle, in the midst of, of all of this all the words that Isaiah has been given to tell to the nations, to preach to, even to his own people. And I can imagine if, if me preaching one chapter <laughs> of this word is heavy for me, it must be very heavy for Isaiah. <laughs> but in the midst of that, we see Isaiah worshiping. Isaiah can say in the midst of, of realizing the brokenness of this world, and the like, impending wrath of God for sin, Isaiah is able to worship. And I want us to ask, how? <laughs> Why? And I think that's relevant for us, too, because I think if, if we're honest, when we are facing the brokenness of this world, the things in our lives that we wish we could change, the things that are, are hard to admit, it's hard to worship. <laughs> it's, it's hard, it's hard to, to, to do that to choose joy in God. So we have to ask why, and how is Isaiah able to do this? And it's this, Isaiah remembers. Isaiah's worship in this moment is rooted in his memory that God has done wonderful things. That God isn't just a God of wrath, he's a God of mercy who has a plan to save his people. Isaiah's name, if, you, if you're confident that Isaiah believes this, Isaiah means Yahweh, or God, is salvation. This is ingrained in his identity, that he believes this truth. It's his namesake. And we see that Isaiah remembers this, and we, and we look back to Scripture, and, I, and Isaiah must be remembering these things in this moment. We go all the way back to the beginning of the word in Genesis, the first time we sinned. From that very moment, God made a promise. The serpent would strike our heel, but it ultimately crush its head. There'd be one to crush the serpent's head. It's a promise that God is going to have the final word, the final say. From the very first time we sinned, God said, I'm going to choose to save you anyway. Even, even so much that he cast us out of the garden to save us. <laughs> to save us from his wrath, from his holy presence, that we wouldn't have been able to withstand if we had stayed with him in the garden. God did that not out of wrath. He did that out of kindness to save us. Isaiah must have been remembering when God was very close to destroying all of the world, he chose a family to put on an ark and to save humanity because he was determined to redeem Adam, to redeem his line. So he saved Noah and his family. Isaiah must have remembered when God was ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for the same thing, that Abraham came to him and said, God, if there's, if there's 40, if there's 30, if there's literally anyone left in the city that loves you, that sees you as righteous and is doing righteousness, is remembering your word, save them. And God does. He saves Lot and his family. Not so much his wife. She turned into a pillar of salt. That's, 
It's a whole other thing. We'll get to that maybe someday. But God is faithful to save. When God's people are enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, 400 years of slavery, calling to him day and night, God, where are you? God, save us. We believe that you will save us because you've saved our fathers before us. God splits a sea to bring his people out of slavery. God is not just a God of wrath for our sin. He is a God of mercy, capable and desiring to redeem his people. That is the truth that Isaiah is remembering, that Isaiah can say, Lord, I exalt you because you've done wonderful things. And if you have done wonderful things, if you want to redeem your people, then I know that your word is final and you will do it again. That's how Isaiah worships. That's the truth that we, when we are stumbling through the brokenness of this world, that we can remember our God does wonderful things and he's not done yet. Amen? So I want us to ask, if there, if there is a distinction, if there's a difference in posture that Isaiah shows us in chapter 24, of the people that God is redeeming, the, the people that God wants to save, what is that posture of repentance? And Isaiah gives us a glimpse in verse four. He says, for you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in distress a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat, for the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall. And if, I, if I'm reading that right, if I understand this right, it sounds an awful lot like the people Jesus describes in his sermon in Matthew 5. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we want to know who it is that God is planning to redeem, Jesus shows us. It's the people who are poor in spirit. It's the people that aren't satisfied with the world to gain their satisfaction, to gain their righteousness. It's the meek. It's, it's those, like we've been saying in this series, that are willing to be humiliated that aren't satisfied with their pride, that are willing to say, God, I need your grace. Humble me. I hunger and thirst for your righteousness, not my own. Those are the people God's redeeming. That's the posture of repentance. To, to not just say, God, I need you, <laughs> when you feel overwhelmed, but to say, I need you, and the only thing I want my satisfaction is, is you. That I could actually be satisfied by pursuing your presence, 
not the things of this world that let me down again and again. That's the posture God is looking for. And God is so, God is so determined. He's so determined to bless these people, to bring this kingdom through Christ, that he became like one of us. That through Jesus, he came down to this earth. That God wasn't content with his covenant between us being broken by our sin. That he who knew no sin became like one of us. God said, I want to redeem you. And if you can't fulfill this covenant, I will. (laughs) I'll fulfill both sides if I have to, but that is what I will do to save my people. Because God isn't just a far off God, out of sight, out of mind from his creation. He is a God who desires relationship with us. A God who walked with us in the garden and wanted to walk with us again. So he did. And he did whatever it took to redeem his people to the point of death on a cross. That is the God that Isaiah can worship, (laughs) that Isaiah remembers as good and who does wonderful things. And as Jesus builds his, his kingdom, Isaiah gives us a glimpse of what that kingdom looks like, this city, the city of, of Jerusalem, this mountain we've been talking about. In verse six, he says, on this mountain, in my kingdom, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. For the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. For my word is final. God, through Jesus, came to say, enough with the distance between us. No more veils between you and I. We can look on his face. We can look upon his glory in full force, (laughs) unlike anyone before, because of his son, because of Jesus. That is God's plan. God's surest, God's oldest, God's most faithful plan to redeem his people made complete in Jesus. This was worth worshiping. This was worth celebrating this morning. And, and that's great news, that, that Jesus, Jesus fulfilling this word. And when Isaiah says, swallowing up death forever, Jesus taking all the wrath <laughs> That is true of God for our sin. He took all of the wrath, every last drop, as he took on every last weight of our sin on that cross. And when he died, he left it buried in the ground. Death literally swallowed up by his grave that he has defeated. 
so that ultimately the things of the world are fading. And they are, but Jesus is not. Jesus overcame the fading things of this world through his life, through rising again. He is eternal. He is lasting. And there's nothing, nothing in this world, nothing in your life that is lasting (laughs) as the victory of Jesus on the cross over our sin. And we know, that, we know that this isn't just Isaiah's word to Israel talking about when God is one day going to bring them out of exile. It is, but remember, this word is just as true for us. And we know this because almost, God says almost the exact same thing all the way in Revelation. It's when Jesus is sitting on his throne. It says this in Revelation 7. It says, therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night. He's talking about his people. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. Sounds pretty familiar, right? For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The people that God is wiping the tears away from are his redeemed people, the people that he has saved. Those of us who would say, Jesus, we believe. Jesus, we aren't satisfied with the things of this world. We are desperate to have satisfaction in you. We don't just need you. We desperately want you. (laughs) And our shepherd when we believe that, when we hold firm to that, we can trust that Jesus will follow through and satisfy us because he has a spring of water. He doesn't just fill our cup to let it drain again and again like the fading things of this world. He has a cup. He has a water that overflows. He gives us more than enough. He gives us more satisfaction than we could comprehend or even handle. That's our God who's done wonderful things. And all of this is really great. And this is beautiful. I, I hope, I really hope that this is beautiful to you. Because we believe, like Aaron said, the fancy banners aren't up any here up anymore, but we believe that the gospel is beautiful. We believe in gospel beauty. We believe that his word is central to our lives, that that God's truth that he's revealing to us, we should hang on. Every word is true. And when we realize that in the, in the beauty, we want to show each other love. We want to tell other people of that. And that's great. And it's great to believe those things. And I, I think when it comes down to it, what's honestly hard for me is to say, I believe this. I'm desperate for this to be true in my life. How do I apply it? <laughs> How do I say great, Jesus, you died and you rose and I can have satisfaction in you. How do I actually have satisfaction in you? (laughs) It's one thing to believe it and one thing to actually experience it, right? So I think we, as I was kind of wrestling with this, I I think we need to ask ourselves this. Do I stop and remember these truths when I feel myself looking to the world 
Satan. I think Isaiah gives us the pattern. Isaiah is able to comprehend these things because he remembers God. Because his reaction to all the horrible stuff happening in the world is to worship. And we should follow suit with that. And I, and I think part of that is not just remembering God for who he is, but recognizing, taking time to dwell on and consider where is my joy? Where is my hope? If this thing I have my joy in was gone tomorrow, if this thing that I desperately longed for that I'm, I'm hoping will give me joy, I'm hoping will give me peace, give me hope, if I never get it, what will happen? Will I have any joy left at all? Would there be any hope in my life at all? And I think we need to consider that question and wrestle with that because the, we've established this. If your joy, if your hope, if your security, the things you long for are in fading things, they will fade with them. But they don't in Jesus. And I'm honestly still wrestling with that. <laughs> still wrestling with how, how do I practice realizing that? Because sometimes I think we're blind to it, honestly. We get so wrapped up in the things of this world and, and chasing after things that are tangible. And to be honest, instant gratification feels great. <laughs> it's way better to, to have joy in the next episode, <laughs> to have joy in the next drink or, or food or purchase, new job, like whatever it is. There's, there is joy in those things, and they're not inherently bad. But if that's where your joy ultimately lies, those things don't last because you need the next episode after that. <laughs> I need the next new brewery to open. I need the next new whatever, Chick-fil-A sauce. <laughs> whatever floats your boat. You will never have enough of those things. They're not lasting. They weren't meant to last because they aren't eternal. Jesus is. God is. We can be sure of that because he has spoken it. And we can be sure that when we wrestle with these things, when we, when we take time to, to consider his word, when we're wrestling with this, what does his word tell us? Do we go to his word when we're struggling with joy? Or is Sunday morning the only time during the week that you hear anything from his word? When we're struggling to understand God, do we talk to him about it? Do we pray? Are we honest with our community? Are we honest with our gospel communities, our DNA groups, our friends, family, that we're struggling, that our joy isn't in the right place? Do we sing? Are we... Are we actually excited to be here on a Sunday morning to be with our family? Do the words that we sing mean anything to us? Or are they just words on a screen? I, I can't really tell you how each of you need to experience or what it's like to experience Jesus being satisfying more so than the things of this world. But I promise you, if you aren't considering God if you aren't dwelling on him, and if you aren't pursuing his presence, his relationship with him, you're not going to experience him. It's not going to happen.
We experience God in relationship with God. You know, if I, if I said that, you know, like, I don't really talk to my wife ever. Like, we live together. Like, I know she's in the house. She's around. But I struggle to, like, have conversation with her. You would probably say, hold up. You might need some counseling. <laughs> or uh, you should definitely be talking to your wife because she's a person and you're married. <laughs> and that seems really obvious. Like, that would be very strange if I, like, if that, like, came up at DNA. And I was like, Levi and Eric, I don't really talk to Sarah ever. Is that, like, an issue? They'd be like... Definitely, yes. You should stop talking to us and, like, go talk to her right now. <laughs> and we laugh at that, and it's, like, really odd. But is that our relationship with God? How honest are we about when we're in community and we're doing the Christian things, but we don't actually have a relationship with God? And we wonder why we're not satisfied. We're wondering why, why are everything in my life so fleeting? It's because we're not resting and the everlasting, eternal, never-ceasing streams of mercy, streams of living water that only Jesus provides. And I think we should consider that. And I think if we want to answer the question, how do I apply this? It's to start somewhere. (laughs) And I don't know where that is for all of you, and I'm still learning where that is for me. But God wants a relationship with us. He wouldn't have given his word to tell us that if it wasn't true, because his word is final. And if the God of the universe would become like us and die for us in one of the worst ways imaginable, just so that he could have relationship with us again, that he could tear down the veil between us, then we should know that we can confidently approach him knowing that he desires relationship. If the, I was thinking about this. If God, God, the God of the universe knows the numbers of hair on my head. The God of the universe knew me before I was woven in my mother's womb. The God of the universe predestined to call me his own from the beginning of time. He loves me. He loves you, and he desires a relationship with you. And all he's asking is, would you posture yourself in a way that is admitting that you need me and that you want me so we can have that relationship, so, we, so that you would feel and know and experience my presence, because I am a God that is for you and that is with you, and the fading things of this world cannot stand against that, that truth. So this morning, Emmaus, my prayer for us this morning is that we would, that we would hear this, that we would see this word from Isaiah. The truth that God has the final word, that he has wrath for our sin, but that he equally and truly desires relationship that he wants to save us from that, that he is going to wipe away all the corruption, all the fallenness, the broken things of this world, and there will be a final day when that is the last word and all his creation is made new. And we won't have to struggle with why 
Do I do the things I don't want to do? We'll be perfectly in his presence, perfectly redeemed. He will wipe away the last tear, and there will be none after that. But until then, would we take a moment to consider that we need God's presence, that we need our satisfaction in him because nothing else lasts the way that he does. That's my prayer for us this morning, that we would comprehend that and not just be doers, not just do the right things (laughs) to say that we're covered, but that we would be people of God, that we would be people who have joy, genuine joy, Christ. We wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but doers, and have our being in Jesus. So would you pray with me? Jesus, this morning, I just want to admit that I'm not sufficient. God, there aren't enough, enough words, enough eloquence for me or for anyone else to stand here and say that we have the power just by preaching or or knowing your word to save any of us, certainly myself. Jesus, I pray that we would rely on your spirit. We've been praying this every week, but would you convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment? Spirit, we need you to transform our hearts, to be people who aren't satisfied with things that are fading, but to desperately seek after satisfaction in you, who is everlasting. Jesus, that's our prayer this morning. Make yourself known. Change our hearts to be more in awe of you, to remember that you Jesus, have done wonderful things through plans that are old, that are faithful and sure, and we can genuinely rest in that. See that as beautiful this morning through your spirit. So would you give that to us? In Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.